It's time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. If anybody in their right mind is worried about Jalen Brunson translating the next level, then they didn't watch him play. I believe their team is destiny, man. I really do not think that they're going to be denied. Whether it's the fight Bills, the Birds, the Fly Guys, the Process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. Stop feeding John Mee to car bombs. Run the ball, control the clock, don't do anything stupid. And John Mita. Kids out there, make sure you practice your free throws. Dear God, give me an interview with the Eagle Scouting Department. I know I can do better. Yo, 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 SoundCloud, iTunes, Twitter, at Love Podcast. That's right, it is the one and only Brotherly Love Podcast. With John Mita, I am Joe O'Donnell. Glad to be back with you. Might have a hiatus after this one because I'm on the road. But Johnny Mita, always nice to catch up with you, my friend. How are you? Feeling pretty good. When the baseball team's literally on fire right now. However, the 76ers are leaking oil tremendously going down the stretch. Let me let, let me stop you right there. Do you think, because I was thinking about this the other night, it's a, I don't know who they lost to, some f- sub-500 team, and I was just checking the box score, and I thought, are they just, you know, the third spot, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it's pretty much theirs, right? They can't, they can't crap that one away, so they can make it interesting, but I don't think they would possibly lose it. So is this just one of those things where a young team's like, oh, get us to the playoffs already? I think they're worn out you know, from the season, and it's like, all right, uh, let's to the next chapter. Yeah. Because they, they know they can't really make any more headway right. in the standings, like as far as, you know, moving up to like the second spot or the number one spot. They're pretty much stagnant on where they're going to end up over the next, because they only have a handful of games, and I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, got Joel and Beats and out these last three games due to load management issues, which, again, I think that was poorly played on the front office and the coaching staff part. Um, when you are acquired, you make a late season trade for Tobias Harris and you're really trying to get your chemistry. If you look at last year's team, you know, they go into the playoffs red hot. They win like 15 to 16 games in a row. They're on complete fire. I mean, this team, this roster with Jimmy Butler and all the particular pieces that have been acquired over the course of the season, like these guys all need to play together. And for not for them not to be playing together down the stretch it is a little bit worrisome. And then you look at matchups, right? That's what it's going to come down to. What are the matchups? You know, would you rather play Toronto in the second round or would you rather like fall into the fourth or fifth spot and maybe kind of link up with the likes of uh, the Milwaukee Bucks? So it's going to be interesting. You know, we need Jimmy Butler in these playoffs. It's a really, I mean, I think that is the biggest headline, the biggest story we know Joel Embiid's going to bring it. We know what Ben Simmons gives you. But is Jimmy Butler going to become that alpha dog, that that big-time shot maker that he's capable of being at times and being able to get it done? So that's kind of what I'm looking for. I mean, at this point, let's just end the season and bring on the playoffs. Didn't mean to hijack things off the hop there. We'll talk some Phillies baseball, obviously. I want to touch on the Stanley Cup playoff races just quickly. I know you want to... Uh, kind of touch on the final four. You've got a damn that's tacky. And we're going to talk about Jordan yeah. Howard being added by the Eagles via trade. All that for you here on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, at Podcast. But 
Might as well stick with the basketball theme for a moment. I know you want to talk Final Four, and I just want to get this off my chest here. Watching the Elite Eight, because I didn't have much chance to watch the Sweet 16, but watching the Elite Eight on Sunday, college basketball, minus the star power that the NBA has, and I know this isn't a newsflash to a lot of people, is just so much more watchable, so much more entertaining than the NBA. I'll take March Madness times 100 over the National Basketball Association. Again, minus the star power. Like, I love watching Joel Embiid. I'm biased. You know, if you're if you're a Rockets fan, a Warriors fan, you know, a, a Milwaukee Bucks fan with, with Giannis, like, the NBA has the star power, the social media, all that stuff. But March Madness, like, that's real basketball. Teams defend. Teams grind it out. It's not just jacking threes and one-on-one isolations. Like, it's just so much more watchable. I was thinking about that this weekend. I just want to get off my chest. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more, man. It is by far the best sporting event. It's just total fiat. I mean, it is just great theater. You know, you get these powerful teams, and they go up against these underdog teams that, you know, don't have a chance. But, listen, sometimes you just don't bring your best stuff to the game, and then you're going to be headed home. And the fact that it is a single elimination tournament Whereas the NBA, it's a bunch of series, you know, five-game series. I guess now they're all seven-game series. It's just there's so much on the line. You know, these kids are just playing to play the game. It's not about money. It's not about stats. It's, it, it's just they're playing for the love of the game. And to watch that Purdue-UVA game, I don't know if you got a chance to see that. I did miss that. I, I missed that one. That was one I didn't get to see. Yeah. I mean, Carson Edwards, this guy, literally has taken our players full by storm. So, needless to say, um, I didn't have him, and I'm probably going to lose because of him. Um, But it was just, I mean, you know, they're back and forth, back and forth, and this guy's just single-handedly keeping his team in it by throwing up these three-pointers. And and UVA and, and Purdue goes up by two points, and, you know, there's a guy at the free throw line, or they're actually up three, and there's a guy at the free throw line, and, you know, or two points, and he misses the shot with five points. The ball literally gets pretty much punched into the backcourt. There is 5.6 seconds left. There's a scramble for the ball. The UBA guard scoops it up and has the wherewithal to make it one-handed pass to his 6'10 big man who ends up shooting a shot. And granted, it wasn't like he hit a three-pointer to put that to force overtime. But a pressure shot with no time remaining to put it into overtime. And it was just incredible. You know, that was one of the best college basketball games. You know, there's been some good ones over the years. You know, I look at that was an unbelievable college basketball game. You had to go back to the Nova North Carolina National Championship. A national championship is decided at the buzzer, which is just completely just unbelievable and unheard of. And I look at that Duke-Kentucky game, and I think that was – 1992 at the Spectrum where Christian Leitner, you know, has the the wherewithal to take a dribble, you know, and and make the shot of a lifetime. And it's just just amazing to me. So the Final Four is set. A lot of people in this country all had Duke. They had the, you know, top three freshmen in the country, and they looked vulnerable in their second-round game against UCF. They probably shouldn't have survived that. And, and you just look at it, and I, just, I had a funny feeling that Duke wasn't going to be able to advance because this is the one year that they didn't have 
a tremendous amount of three-point shooting, and I felt like eventually that would catch up to him, and it did. You know, you have Michigan State right now. This Final Four is so unheard of. You got Michigan State. Yeah, you probably thought they might make it there. Tom Mizzou is so well-schooled. He's been there so many times. You know, he's embarking on trying to achieve his second national championship. Then you get, like, Texas Tech, who last year lost to Villanova in the Elite Eight. This year they play the most suffocating defense in college basketball. In the Sweet 16 round, they play Michigan. And literally the score to halftime is 24 to 16. Wow. And then at one point it was like 56 to 24. They held Gonzaga, who I said on this podcast was going to be you know, going all the way and come the Nets down. 10 percentage points on the season under what they shot. So generally Gonzaga would shoot like, 55% for the game. They ended up shooting 45. They were generally a like 38 to 39% three-point shooting team. They were held to 28%. So you got Texas Tech with that suffocating defense linking up against a Michigan State team. On the other side, you have UVA who were upset last year, the first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed. You know, Tony Bennett and his guys finally punched her ticket. And then you have the story of Bruce Pearl and Charles Barkley's favorite, the Auburn Tigers, who have come in extremely red hot. All they do is shoot threes. They remind me of the 1994 Arkansas Razorback team. They were held by Nolan Richardson. They would play great defense, run, run and gun up and down the court and shoot tremendous, and, and everyone was shooting three-pointers. So different styles, different hits. You know, I think it's going to be a good I think it's going to be good. Like what you said about the eight games, Joe, the margin of victory total between the games was a total of 18 points. It was the closest, you know, the lowest point total. So you could just go and you could just tell how great these games were. So it's very exciting. Um, you know, I don't know who's going to cut down the nets. If I were to give a favorite, I'd go with some experience in Michigan State and also – He's got the coaching experience over everyone in the Final Four because this is the first time that three other coaches have ever made the Final Four. There's a lot that goes into it, the preparation, the media, everything with it, you know, shooting in a bigger type stadium, which is a big deal. So it's going to be awesome. You just know, remember, uh, just remember, Johnny Mita, when Villanova got there but didn't get it done a number of years back, I think it was the – the Lowry team, if I'm not mistaken. Jay Wright talked about what they learned as a staff and as a group about what all the pressure is like. It's like going to the Super Bowl for the first time almost um, and just trying to understand what, what that environment is like. Absolutely. It's, it's got a lot to play with. The one thing, you know, you got to feel bad for the Auburn Tigers. They lost one of their, you know, best players, Chuma Akiki. He was just playing phenomenal against North Carolina. The poor young man blows his ACL out, but... If you look at Auburn's road, what they've accomplished, it's been pretty amazing. They lit up, you know, they took out Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky. And they also beat, you know, a pretty decent New Mexico State team in the first round. They literally had a chance to beat them at the buzzer. So, who knows? It's all house money. It's going to be, I think it'll be a very fun Final Four to watch. You know, and there's not those, you know, the blue bloods as far as North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas. Or not, those teams aren't in it, but I think it's going to be a great, a great end to a great tournament. So All right, far. let's jump to the fighting Phils. Off to a four and one start. Could have been five and zero, oh, but the bullpen collapsed. Uh, some shoddy defensive fielding by my boy Reese Hoskins. Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez stunk it up in the eighth, and then David Robertson, the new acquisition from the Yankees, 
couldn't get an out in the ninth, basically. I think he got, you know, he might have gotten one out. I don't even think he did. He he walked in the ah. winning run, ah. and they lose Great a heartbreaker 9-8. So uh, the Phils are now 4-1 uh, after a split in D.C. and an odd two-game set. Your boy Bryce Harper hitting 500 on the year. I'd say that's an okay start. Seven walks in five games, three absolute moonshots. Your boy Michael Franco leading the team with eight ribbies. And the Phillies hitting the cover off the ball right now. Uh, the pitching and the pitching and the pitching going to be the biggest story here. Nola did not have a great outing today in the nation's capital. And the Phillies are 4-1. and one. What do you make of it? Well, I mean, there's a couple things. It's just the potency, Joe, of this starting lineup. You go through the lineup. You have McCutcheon leading off, Segura, Harper, Hoskins, <laughs> Rio Muto, and you have you know, Dubal Herrera. Listen, they have, the Phillies have the the Phillies have six through four games, or excuse me, yeah. five games through five games. The Phillies have six players who have scored five or more runs. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive, and they have several players with five or more RBIs. Yeah, I mean, it's just and here's the deal: the the crazy part is, and we kind of said this before. It's like, okay, so if some guy's having a bad night or he goes over three, over four. With this lineup, it's so it's so damn strong. Like it's not even going to make a difference. Like you know, Hoskins has kind of struggled so far throughout the course of the season a little bit, but but it doesn't matter. And the way this team is scoring runs, and the other thing I look at Joe, and in all pro sports, and listen, all sports at any level, you know, you got to look at chemistry. And these guys like playing with one another. And I know the theatrics have been a little crazy, the bat flips, the high fives celebrations. We know what it reminds me of, Joe, and I know this is, you know, a little premature, but you know, I look at that Eagles team when they went to the Super Bowl. Okay. Was, All right. Hold on, hold on, listen to me. But they just had so much fun playing with one another and they all had each other's backs. And I'll tell you what, man, it, i think the biggest thing moving forward if you're gonna look at okay, things are going great. But moving forward, what what do we need to do through the course of the season? I think the big thing is in the bullpen, right? I think roles need to be established. And when I say established, what I'm referring to is you look at guys like, look at the OA team, right? You had Durbin was your seventh inning guy. Then you had Mad Dog Madsen pulling in the eighth. And then you had Lights Out Lidge. I think over the course of the season, the bullpen, these guys need to find their roles. You know, where is their place in the bullpen? If they can make that happen, and closing, it's going to be a huge thing. You I have to have a closer. I'm going to one-up you because I think, well, yeah, you have to have a closer. And the thing I was going to say next is they got to add some arms. It's plain and simple. They will. I'm sure they will. And, yes, sorting out the roles, getting the guys some innings early, kind of seeing how they mesh, seeing who's going, who's not, will be, will be very important. But ultimately, they're going to add some arms at some point, starting pitching, bullpen, both. They will uh, because they know there's – a window to win, and right now, you know, to sweep the Braves opening series, you talked about it, sends a bit of a message to the NL East defending champs, the Nationals, whatever. I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm not scared of the Nats, and the Mets can do whatever they want early. We know they stink. Ultimately, they'll fade off if they do get off to a good start. So I'm all about the Phils going all in on this year. Um, at some point, when we have more time on a podcast, I have a list of Fugazi Bryce Harper things that are driving me crazy. I'd like to throw them your way. Don't want to do it tonight because it's late, uh, but I have a running tab going, so don't 
Don't think I won't continue the hate train, but I have been impressed with the bat flips, the majestic dingers, and chicks dig the long ball, my friend. So if he keeps it up, he'll uh, he'll continue to climb the the early career Philly lore place that only a few athletes have been, like a T.O., you know, pick your guy that's that's joined the organization or the city's ranks and has immediately become a star. He started off well, like I thought he might. You know, I said that there will be some valleys. I want to see how he handles it. I want to see if the fan base stays on him, stays with him, or gets on him. Uh, but for right now, Bryce Harper off to a great start. It's great to see. Love the Phils being 4-1. and one. Love their swagger. Love the lineup. Love the pop and the power. Um, there's no easy inning when you face them now, which is awesome. It puts pressure on the opposing teams and pitchers, and it's going to make them work. And there's nothing better for a baseball team than to make the opposing team staff work deep in accounts, high pitch counts early in games, getting to the bullpen. Those are all things that are going to breed success down the line for the Phils. The other thing is, too, just real quick, is also the fact that just like today's game, right, it wasn't really going for them. And then they they just they smash and they get into an unbelievable comeback. And that's the most beautiful thing that we're going to experience throughout the summer. It's the fact that you will not be able to turn off your TV knowing that this team will always have a fighting chance to win the game. Anything else on the Phils? Nah, I think we covered it right now. All right, five games in. Nice start. Would have been nice to be 5-0. and You can't go 162-0 and without going 5-0 and for the record. So it looks like we'll have to settle with 161-1. and uh, No big deal. All right, quickly on the National Hockey League Stanley Cup playoff race. Flyers eliminated. They will certainly retool this offseason. They have assets. They have salary cap space. They've got a new GM. I'm not worried at all about them taking steps in the right direction. In fact, I chatted with Dave Brown the other night, who is a scout for the Flyers. Uh, obviously a long-time Philadelphia Flyer. At one point, he worked for the Rangers, but he's back with the Flyers now, his second stint of duty, and has been for a couple years. And he told me, and I don't think he really thought this was on the record, not that the Brotherly Love podcast is essentially on the record, but he told me <laughs> he told me that things are back to what they used to be and that sort of the Fletcher regime has, he didn't say a breath of fresh air, but things are headed in the right direction. And he just kind of hinted at the fact that the organization is being run again like it like it was for many years. And I think that should be reassuring for Flyers fans. Um, he feels they need some veteran defensemen to help the young kids along. I could not agree more. You know how I feel about the Flyers' D. So with two games left, Flyers eliminated. They have 82 points. They'll finish 500 or better. And all things considered, probably a pretty good year. Now, had they tanked and gotten a top-five draft pick, maybe would help them more in the long-term or short-term future but at least they made a good season out of it. They have dropped three in a row, but again, they can't finish any worse than below 500. Now, the wild card battle is interesting. You have Carolina with 95 points, Columbus with 94, Montreal with 94. Each team has two games left. Only two of those three, Carolina, Columbus, or Montreal, is going to get in. And in the Western Conference, it's a dogfight. Colorado and Arizona for that final playoff spot as the Minnesota Wild were eliminated the other night. And it looks like the Avs are going to take it because Arizona just lost their starting goaltender in Darcy Kemper. They're four points back with two games left. Dallas has clinched the playoff spot as well. So the the Western Conference battle, less intense right now with a couple games left in the Eastern Conference battle. Carolina, Columbus, and Montreal. Two teams are going to get in. One's going to be golfing early. So just want to touch quickly on the National Hockey League. All right, Brotherly Love Podcast. Shifting gears to the Philadelphia Eagles. Our last podcast we didn't really touch on the birds at all. And then what do you know, the day after they make a big deal, 
Jordan Howard on the final year of his rookie deal coming up this season, traded from the Bears to the Birds for a six-round pick in 2020. Depending on Howard's production, it could be a fifth-round pick. But still, you get a guy that's been, I don't know what, top 10 or so in the league and rushing his first three years. He's still on his rookie deal, so he comes cheap. He knew he was going to get dealt at some point, and the move comes. The Eagles get their running back, or at least what we think could be a you know, rotational part of their of their running game, if not their feature back in this upcoming season. What do you think? Well, I mean, again, you know, Howard, the wizardry, um, to pull this off, this was a name that's been floated for months. You know, Jordan Howard, Jordan Howard. You know, some of the fans are calling for Jordan Howard, Jordan Howard. And they'll finally get it. And, you know, to give up a six, they could turn into a fifth. Listen, I love the Philadelphia Eagles. But we all know drafting hasn't been their forte. Yep. So to give up a fifth and a sixth rounder for a starting position player, I'm totally on board And it's not that. even this year's draft. It's next year's. Exactly. Now, maybe you lose in a free agency. Maybe he doesn't re-sign. Maybe he's too much money. But for this year, you got way better at the position. A guy that played all 16 games last year, had nine touchdowns, averaged almost four yards a carry. And not only that, the fact is if he does finally leave a free agency, there's only the possibility of picking up one of those compensatory picks. Yep, so good point. I, I think it's a total win-win. I do like the fact that they added some depth there, right? You know, we were all questioning, like, all right, you know, Corey Clemens coming off injured. Where are they going to kick the tires on Jay and Jai again? Don't know. The one thing I know about this guy is he finds the end zone a lot. He's been in the end zone a lot. You look at the running back stats with touchdowns, short yardage. He's an absolute fire plug. I mean, I think his stats, he's like six feet, 224 pounds. You know, maybe the one knock on him is he doesn't catch the ball in the backfield like the Eagles want, but I've seen this guy play a lot, Joe, and I think he's actually a better receiver than, than people give him credit for. I don't think he really gets, you know, the opportunities, but I love it. And, and again, still, I'll tell you what, and, I'm, and I've been on the Josh Jacobs train. I'm still trapped in Josh Jacobs from Alabama just to give Carson another weapon. But this is a good signing, a good fill. And, you know, the guy, the other thing is, too, Look at what happened with our running back situation last year. What did we suffer from? Durability, right? Darren Sproles misses a ton of games. Corey Clement goes out and J.H.I. So we are literally plugging and playing with a backfield of, you know, undrafted rookies to people off the scrapping. So, again, I think it just solidifies the position, and he's on a rookie deal. you got to love the fact that these guys are coming in the last year of their contract. They were ousted from their team. They play with a chip on their shoulder, so he's going to be hungry, and that's going to just do nothing but pay dividends for our football team moving forward. 24 career touchdowns in 47 games for Howard, who is uh, a Gardendale, Alabama native, and he was a fifth-round pick of the Bears in 2016. So basically, worst case, you give up a fifth-round pick to get a guy that was a fifth-round pick but has produced at the NFL level in his first three seasons, so... Again, uh, certainly an upgrade, if nothing else, or depth, or whatever you want to call it. A lot of fans geeked up about it. I think they should be. Nice move by the Birds to get it done. Sticking with the NFL, John Mita. Listen, this pass interference rule, because of the NFC Championship game with the Rams and the Saints and the way that thing ended, the Saints feeling hosed, the league is now amending the rule to the point where coaches can challenge on a call that's either made or not made that they feel was pass interference or not pass interference. This opens up a huge can of worms. I don't really like it. Uh, certainly, the officials 
blunder calls throughout the game, but that that's sports. And, you know, I just get the sense, like, you're going to have coaches now after a big play that might just throw the flag to slow the momentum of the opponent down, to slow things down, to give their team a chance to reset, to kill the, the, the energy in the crowd, maybe, if they're on the road. I don't like it at all. Sean Payton complained up a storm. He got his way, and now the NFL will allow coaches essentially to challenge whether it's pass interference or not, or maybe it's just a missed call. And, you know, we'll see how this plays out. I'm sure early on in the preseason we'll see a ton of it. Then it'll probably fade down a bit. But the NFL, again, continues to tweak things involving the officials, trying to appease the masses. But I, I just don't know they got it right this time. Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, listen, I think it's something, you know, with the egregious play that happened in the NFC Championship, something had to be done here. If you look at the vote on this, Joe, I think it was a 31 to 1 vote with Cincinnati being on the other side of it. No, they were probably, their their, uh, GM was probably (laughs) drinking anyway. You looked at their (laughs) roster lately? Right, exactly. So um, here's, just like you said, and and my friend Pete Langham, he brought up a great point to me is that what about when you, you go to the Hail Mary right at the end of the game? How many times have you seen a Hail Mary? where, you know, the receiver's getting held down by his shoulder pads. So it's going to be interesting how this is called. I think the better solution here would have been just make that official upstairs. Make it, you know, and I know the NFL is talking about, well, we can't pay all these guys and all that horse crap. But I think the better solution would be, like, I do like the fact that, let's face it, that was a big play in the game. That, that, that was a huge swing there. But... Um, you know, one of the things is maybe just have an official at his discretion. If he saw a play like that, an official up in the booth, maybe give him the right to buzz down and say, listen, something needs to be done here, as opposed to giving the coaches the power. Just let it be on one guy. I mean, I really like the college replay system a lot better than what I do with the NFL sort of things, So they kind of have one guy that's in complete control. Um, but and they we'll buzz they buzz the official in college football, right? That that replay guy up yeah. top, yeah. A- absolutely, buzz this down. Um, I mean, I think the good thing is this is only instituted for one year, so we're we're going to see how this goes. But the other thing, when you're talking can of worms, is then the next is it going to be holding? If somebody rips off a 50 yard touchdown, but there was a hold on the play, is that going to be a factor? So you're right. This is definitely a slippery slope. Whereas you know, maybe we're, we're taking too much, you know, we're, we're scrutinizing the officials too much, and this is sports, and we should just let the way things play out. And again, in slow motion, keep in mind, it can always look way different than full speed. The other Absolutely. part of this that I wouldn't be surprised about is if teams start hiring guys just to look for this, right? You have your, your coach that's in the box somewhere or your, your trusted right-hand man that's telling the head coach to challenge or not to challenge. Now you've got guys looking for pass interference. Do you bring in like a defensive back specialist, the guy that used to play DB or receiver, to sit there and watch every play on your staff and let you know if you thought it was pass interference or not? Maybe it creates some jobs around the NFL. Who knows? Lord knows uh, they got enough money they can pay more people. All right, John, uh, before we get on out of here, you've got a damn that's tacky. And I'm going to try and guess it. All right, you hit me with this on, on the ride to the studio. You said you had a good one. I don't have one, but I think I can guess it based on some news I heard tonight driving to the studio on national radio. 
and I'm going to try and guess that it has to do with Greg Popovich of the Spurs. Yes or no? No, oh. but go ahead. Well, Popovich apparently got ejected 63 seconds into the Spurs game tonight, which is an NBA record. I'm assuming if you had known that, my assumption was that you're like, what? damn, that's tacky. You're booting a guy a minute and three into the game. But uh, I digress because I don't know what he did or why he was so upset. Feed our listeners with your, damn, that's well, tacky. I, I, well, I did read that. But, you know, I'm going to go to, you know, a different different, different side of the ball. And we're going to talk about the National Football League. And, and, and when I'm talking about this, this is something that's very dear to my heart, something that I've been affected with for twice in my life. And, um, you know, I'm going to talk about, you know, the very touchy subject of cancer. And there's a former Dallas Cowboy named The Playmaker, a.k.a. Michael Irvin, who has recently come out and said that he is cancer-free. Now, when I thought about this, I said, okay, he's cancer-free. I think for you to come out and make a statement like that, you have to be diagnosed with cancer. And he was getting some screening and some testing done. But he was never officiate. He was never officially diagnosed with cancer. So if you were never officially diagnosed with cancer, how can you come out and say you're cancer free? For all the cancer survivors out there, for all the people that have been in remission and battling this disease, and for this guy to come out and say, I gotta be honest with you, man, that is tacky as hell. The playmaker. I'm sorry, you can't come out and say that. So you should be ashamed of yourself, and my God, that is one of the damnest, tackiest things I've ever come across. I can't argue with that, man, and you obviously know better than anybody. So um, I'll just leave it at that. I'm glad you brought it to the table. All right. Amen. So, Brotherly Love Podcast, on the way out right now. I'll be on the road for a bit next week. We'll try and connect in two weeks, Johnny Mead, and hopefully by then the Phillies are like 50-1. and one. Love it. Love it. I mean, it's just it's just nice to know that baseball is back in this town and we're not going to deal with the painful summers and not just counting down the days to training camp, yeah, which we'll do anyway. Yeah, that's but, a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. All right, Johnny, made a great job, brother. Love you long time. All right. You're the best, Joe. Well done tonight. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Really appreciate the support. For John Mita, Joe O'Donnell, follow us on Twitter at Beloved Podcast. Spread the love. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Till next time, go Phils. We'll see. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.